I am unashamed. What about you? So we're back. Um, last podcast, we talked about overcoming difficulties, <laughs> finding forgiveness. Jay said quite the tale uh, to tell us. But it really, it really is just a common, a great sort of illustration or arch for what we're talking about in the book of Hebrews, especially in chapter 5, because we, we talked about the Hebrew writer sort of making this idea about the priesthood and Jesus. And then there's what I would call kind of an interlude before we get to chapter 7, when he's going to flesh that out a lot more, where he does what he's done in every chapter so far, which is give a warning to the people that he's writing to. Because obviously, a lot of people have gone back under the old system, the old covenant, that, you know, as we read here, they at least understood Jesus, they knew, you know, why he came, at some point they seemed to embrace that, but then it wasn't enough for them, and so they went back under law, which you think about it is that to leave Jesus and leave what he offers, you really do, what do you call it, Chase, burn the bridge, the only bridge that can lead yeah. you to something better? Well, he's fixed to get introduced this idea of having a sure hope, and when you try to wrap your head around that, and, and I really feel like hope is the least stressed aspect of those three things from 1 Corinthians when he said... Yeah. Faith, hope, and love. I mean, we talk about faith. Yeah. I mean, in the religious world, as as a general rule, because people are unsure how you follow an invisible being, and so you are like, well, it's it's a faith. It's called something called faith. And then he said, the greatest of these is love. I feel like we do a good job of that. I mean, God is love, and that is part of the foundation. But when it gets to hope, you're like, well, that's kind of like faith. Because yep. we're going to get to Hebrews 11.1. 1, because you really hope and and faith go hand in hand. You can't have one without... You wouldn't believe if there was, there was nothing of a future consequence there. I mean, you wouldn't believe if that didn't mean something for the future. Why would you believe? Right. If, if what's fixing to happen is not a positive. Yeah. So... I mean, I, I think that's where he's getting, and I do think that that's ultimately goes back to why you focus on Jesus, because when you think about hope, if you take Jesus out of the equation, just look at it like this. What happens when someone loses all hope? What are the things that happen? Yeah. Nothing good. Right. I mean. I mean, you, you're explaining why today's culture looks like it does. What happens when people no give up? Yeah. What happens when they're hopeless? Right. They go out on the streets and they march for this and yeah. that and the other. But Whether they're religious or not, when someone loses right. all hope, what is fill in the blank? Yeah, the results are bad. It reminds me, Jay, there's a, there's a scene in Shawshank Redemption, which is very, very powerful, when I think it's after Andy has played the he, – he, he's locked the doors and he played an opera in a, you know all-male prison back in the 20s. And his idea was he wanted them to hear this music that was outside of their just day-to-day prison routine. So he's having a conversation after he gets out of the hole. And Red, who's the Morgan Freeman character, they're talking about hope. And uh, and so Andy says, well, in here's where you need it the most. And, and Red is like, that's a dangerous concept. You don't, The last thing you want to do is have hope in a yeah. place like this. 
But it was really the two battling concepts. It really does go to what Jace is talking about because in a hopeless situation is when you need hope the most. Yep. But some people in their hopelessness think, well, the last thing I want to do is think there's something better yep. because I'm so it, my situation is so bad. So I, I really think that I've always thought that scene was such a powerful thing to show the two lines of thinking yep. between what's good and what's bad, you know, and, well, and hopelessness is a big part of it. What Luke recorded in Acts 1, 1 through the 11, the opening salvo of the book of Acts the reality of what went down when Jesus was on the earth. He died, was buried, raised from the dead. Well, in that period from there to the arrival of the kingdom of God, the Hebrew writer starts out in four in Hebrews four, you know, we also have had this gospel preached to us and all that. Well, here's here's Peter's fixing to talk to the Jewish nation. And their problem was what the Hebrew writer had just said, beginning in, in uh, Hebrews 4, 14. Since we have a great high priest, he has gone through the heavens, gone into heaven. Well, if you look at that right there, you say, well, when did that take place? So Luke, he might have wrote Hebrews, by the way. In my former book, The Office, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Here's a briefing in the book of Acts of what the Hebrew writer is talking about in Hebrews chapter 4, 14 and following. I'll show you a little bit more on that in a minute. After his suffering, uh, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs he was alive, trying to get people to understand that Jesus is the way. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. This is after he was resurrected and spoke about the kingdom of God, which the Hebrew writer mentions twice that the kingdom of God is here. On one occasion while he was eating and drinking, they said, don't, don't leave Jerusalem. Stay right here. Then in verse 6, so they all, they met together and said, Lord, are you going to restore the, to, you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's going to be us Jews that rule the world. It's not for you to know all the times and dates. After he said this, here's his departure. He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hit him. They were looking into the sky and and Luke recorded him saying, look, I mean, an angel appeared and says, look, he's going to come back the same way you've seen him go. Well, when the Hebrew writer covers that, uh, therefore, verse 14, 4, 14, since we have a great high priest who has gone into heaven, Luke just recorded it in the book of Acts. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest, here's a great verse, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's going into heaven, and other verses say he's seated at the right hand of God there to mediate for us, one mediator, just one, Jesus at the right hand of God. And that's how he, he can sympathize with our, our weaknesses. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Our sins are not counted against us, and Jesus is the reason why, because he never sinned, and in him is no sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. You say, well, you know, I, how am I going to make it? I mean, what do I need to do? And I mean, I need to keep the law. He said, oh, no, just put your faith 
in Jesus, and he will be your way. You have this mediator for you 24-7. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, got to have it, and find grace, got to have it. The law is a killer to help us in our time of need. So you put those two together, Acts chapter 1, the very time he left, and it is interesting that just after that, after Acts chapter 1, he's gone into heaven. He'll come back in the same way you've seen him go. He's going to return. Peter then preaches the gospel to him in Acts 2. Then he gives him the response to the gospel and the promises for you and your children. Well, we're back in the Hebrews, right? That's what he's saying. But the, uh, the framework of all of it, it's already been laid down in the book of Acts and the other epistles. Yeah. But the Hebrew writer is just saying, you have a great deal going here. You, you got Jesus at the right hand of God. Since we have a great high priest, he's gone through the heaven. I mean, you know, you get to looking at it, it makes the Jews of that day say, oh, I, I miss him. I missed it all. Well, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Right. You better hold on. To, that's all put in, in play, you know. Righteousness will be the scepter of his kingdom. Hebrews 1. Well, I think that's why now we're in Hebrews 6, which it's almost like the problem of trying this without Jesus. So he goes through, you know, Hebrews 6. But then he says this is based on a promise because he don't want them to give up. He wants them to have, I guess this is the bad, which is the problem with humans, is that we want to do it ourselves, the good, which is, what God did through Jesus, but then you have the beautiful instead of the ugly. I was thinking of that good, bad, and the ugly, which is it produces this hope that you can be sure of. Yeah. I mean, it's not like your you know, sins we, we, are not being counted against you. Yeah, I mean, and it's a guarantee. This is yeah. So, so he he had he goes through the problem and and he doesn't want them to give up. And he makes a Jay Z makes a stark contrast in six and seven between the results of doing it with Jesus and without. Remember, he, in verse seven, he says, "Here's what it looks like when it does great. It produces a crop. It's a blessing. It's a blessing from God." But then he says, but, verse 8, land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless mm-hmm. and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. So, Which is a problem. It's a huge what problem. I'm yeah. He kind of, it's like a bad cop, good cop. That's right. Because then he, then he gets to tw- 13, and I'll read it, because it's, 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 there's a lot of hard-to-understand things that he addresses here. But he says in 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, so now he brings up Abraham. Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So God is making an oath to himself. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received... Talk about waiting patiently. Just look at the time frame. Al. Well, I put Three a J. formula here. I put a formula. I didn't read this out of book, so if I'm wrong, y'all can take me on on it. I'm sure Zach will if I'm in error. Because I thought, why I promise? I thought, why I promise? Why does he go from the problems of trying to do this to do this without Jesus, the problems of trying to have the system that was institute, instituted 
by the Jews, this this Jewish nationalism that were supposedly going to look to the Savior that was to come, and then said, we're not going to focus on the Savior that came or that was supposed to come. We're going to focus on kind of like the illustration of you get a you get a present that never arrives, but you find the owner's manual and and you put all your faith and trust in the instructions, but you never get around to the actual product that was supposed to be delivered that you can participate in that's right. going to bring joy. <laughs> His I mean, point is what he said in Galatians. Before this faith came, and, and there they all were, we were held prisoners by the law, but the Jews didn't see it that way. Locked up until faith should be revealed. The Jews didn't see it that way. So the law, what you all think you have to be under, was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, is the Hebrew writer, I'm reading Galatians uh, 3 now. Yeah, I, I have Galatians 3 We are now. no longer under the supervision of the law. You have to get that he, out of your head. So he's, he's saying all this, and it's based on a promise. So I wrote down this formula. Promise plus time equals trust. So he gave a promise. Yep. Time happened. Well, what developed? Abraham had to do the same thing we do. There, are you going to trust the promise, the one who gave the promise? Now, with Abraham's case, this promise seemed a little far-fetched. Because when you, you go through Genesis 12, the initial promise about the land, then yep. Genesis uh, 15, you go through about you're going to have a son. Well, he was, what, 85? I think he was 75 when, when the first, first promise. Correct. 85 when the second promise. So we got to have some time allowed. he still didn't receive while he was alive the promise. Well, he waited the, the, the one about Jesus. But, you know, let's take a break. So ultimately, we know the best life insurance is heaven because that's after life insurance. But while we're on this earth. It's the only one I know of. It's the only one. That's exactly right. It's the ultimate one. But while we're here. Life insurance also is not a bad idea for us to have just for things that happen in this life. And uh, so one of our uh, sponsors is a company called Policy Genius. They are an insurance comparison website. That's what they are. They're not an insurance company, but they compare insurance companies to get you the best possible price on life insurance. So you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You go to policygenius.com slash fill. You're going to get personalized quotes. It's only going to take a few minutes. They've got licensed agents that work for you, not the insurance companies. They don't have any extra fees. They keep all of your information private. They have thousands of five-star reviews, so they're very good. Uh, they've helped over 30 million people shop for insurance, and they've placed over $150 billion in coverage. So check them out policygenius.com slash Phil. You get your free life insurance quotes. You see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Phil for your free insurance quotes and see how much you can save. But so he gets to a hundred and this first promise, I think the land came first, but then the, of having Isaac happens. Yeah. We just think at a hundred. <clears throat> this is a hard promise to wrap your head at around. At seventy six, I'm like, I don't know what I could pull out. Yeah, you're seventy six. Twenty four years from now, <laughs> yeah. you're gonna have a child, <laughs> and it's gonna bless all nations. And your your 
ancestors are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. The I'll try to convince your mother that can't happen, but I don't think I'm going to be able to put it off. <laughs> Tell her to be sure not to laugh. <laughs> but, but remember, Jay, at the 86-year-old mark, which would have been, you know, about 11 or 12 years after. So Sarah came up with a plan. was like, oh, hey, oh, this is what God must have meant. You sleep with my maidservant, you marry her, and then that child will be the child of promise. So for 13 years, they thought they had pulled it off until God said, oh, by the way, now that you're 99, now's the time to tell you about the real plan. <laughs> so, I mean, to show to your point, that shows you how hard faith is, right? That's why I put promise plus time that there, there's going to be some trust. And I think that was God's idea. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, a, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, there, there is this huge connection here with what Phil mentioned in Galatians. Uh, of, of the, There is a covenant or a promise that God's making by himself that's working in conjunction with our faith. Uh, I was thinking uh, Genesis 22 has a reference where God says, by myself, which I think is what the Hebrew writers are alluding to, by myself, this is in 22.16, by myself I have sworn declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I'll give you a bunch of descendants and whatnot. If you back up to the initial promise in Genesis 15 that he's going to give him a son, if you remember the story, what happened when he took Abraham took the, the animals and he cut them in half and he put them like one on one side and the other half on the other side, and the the idea was that you take these animals and you cut them in half and then there's a covenant, a deal that's being made here between two parties and they walk through the animals. And what they're saying is when they walk through these animals, they're saying, if I break this covenant, may this happen to me. But what's interesting in Genesis 15 is that Abraham cuts the animals in half and he puts one half on one side and one on the other side. And the birds of the prey come down. He sees, get away, get away, get away. He gets them away. And then instead of Abraham walking through the middle of that saying, if I break this covenant, let this happen to me, guess who walks through? The Spirit of the Lord. God's presence moves through the center. So God himself says, if you break this covenant, Abraham, let this happen to me. Now think about that, that there's a unilateral covenant that's being made with man that God is saying, Abraham, if you break this covenant, not me, if you, I'm not breaking it. If you break it, may I be cut in half. May I suffer death. May I die, which is a foreshadowing of exactly what happened. Jesus took on the payment and the penalty for our sin. So we get to Hebrews 6, and you talk about assurance. The reason why we can find assurance, even in this passage that says it's impossible for those who fall away to to be brought back to repentance, to Jace's point, the point is, is that without Jesus, you ain't getting back ever. If oh, Jesus is not enough for you, yeah. then there's not enough. We're but the reason why we can be assured is because God made the covenant by himself, not based on what we did, but based on what he did. He walked through those animals. I think he's on to something. No, perfect lead in. Oh, we're tracking. Perfect lead in to me reading the rest of this. And I want to make one point. It says in verse 16, so men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. And I want to make just a just a sidebar here. Even people in the world do that. There, have you noticed that people in the world will use the Lord's name 
in vain and will be like, I mean, just people who don't even believe in God, but they're constantly saying, you know, Lord Jesus, yeah. Jesus Christ. You're like, why are they doing that? Because it makes them feel powerful. Because they're taking someone greater than themselves, even if they don't believe in them. And because they want to be like, I'm powerful. And they've be, got be, him up. Be as, intimidated. They've got me. him up as the judge when they see GD. Well, but I think it makes them feel part. They're intimidating. That's why when somebody people. doubts somebody, say, wait a minute. No, I swear to God, this really happened. Oh, exactly. Well, that statement alone They're, says it's bigger. It's got to be exactly. something bigger than me because you that don't believe a, me. That was a sidebar, but I do think it's interesting yeah. that that happened. What something written this long ago. Yep. You even see it in non-believers. Oh, yeah. Why they keep doing it. That's right. Because it makes them feel more powerful. Mm -hmm. That they're like, not only that, I've put him almost under me, and I use him as my witness to my greatness. And even outside of God, Jason, when somebody says, I swear, you hear him say, I swear on my daughter's life. I swear on my... They say God is my witness. But it's always something, because it's got to be, my word is not enough. It's got to be more. So the next time somebody does that, use it as a conversation start. Say, are you feeling weak right now? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) They're like, what? (laughs) Well, I noticed you were using the Lord Jesus, which is someone greater than yourself. So I'm I'm seeing that as a sign of weakness, that you want to feel powerful. You want want some confidence? Let me tell you how you can get it. There you go. It would be an interesting conversation. It would be. Why you keep doing it. So verse 17 says, but God, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged Instead of giving up, you're greatly encouraged, right? Right. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary, to Zach's point, behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. There's the friend in high places. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek to Al's point in the last podcast priest priest and, and, king. and king so here's my point you have somebody compiled the list of promises god has made in the bible and they came up with over seven thousand. so instead of me going down through seven thousand promises which we just read it's impossible for god to lie and i think the second unchangeable thing is that his nature doesn't change the nature and his purpose, which is the previous verse. I want to read this verse. And I think to go with Zach's point, And the reason I said we're tracking, if you read second Corinthians one and verse 20 with in mind that there's 7,000 promises made at various places and that God cannot lie. Listen to this for no matter how many promises God has made. I said, there could have been about 7,000. Here's this point in Hebrews 6, the earlier passage. They are yes in Christ to finish your verse. They are yes in Christ. Oh, wow. That's why you can't burn the bridge of Jesus. You can't burn that bridge. If you think back to what Jesus said in John 5 in this specific context, and he's like, you're studying these scriptures thinking that by them you'll have eternal life but you refuse to realize that these scriptures are about me. 
Well, now that makes a whole lot more sense when you get over here and look, look at this. I mean, these are scriptures that Jesus himself had memorized and he knew, and he was trying to get them to see whatever promise God has made and he cannot lie and it's all good. Nothing bad. <clears throat> They're yes in me. So you don't have to Man, be that good. smart. But well, think about this, too. It's the same thing you this... said from a different angle, though. I mean, it's the same. You're going to reach the same conclusion. Well, well, I think what you mentioned, though, I, I'm so glad you said that because it, 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 it ties together what I just said earlier, which is a, a, a unilateral covenant and then faith. What ties the unilateral covenant to faith? And it's the promise is yes. So what is faith? Faith is hearing the promise of God and then believing that the answer is yes. Exactly. So when you what move to Genesis, you hope for and certain of what you don't see. Exactly. 100%. So when you move to Genesis 22, because we're talking about Abraham here, and we're not talking about Abraham, but this is what's being mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 6 in this, in this one-way covenant. I swore by myself what you said in Genesis 20, and you get to 22, when when Abraham is in this position, or in, in uh, actually the uh, 22 is when he said it, that he's about to offer his son Isaac. Now think about what the promise was. The promise was, it's always yes, but the promise was, I'm going to give you a grandson, a son, and that grandson is going to give you a lot of grandkids. I mean, we're going to, we're talking about so many grandkids that you won't even be able to count them all. And now here we are in Genesis 22. And he says, okay, I want you to kill the only way that I'm going to be able to give you grandkids. I want you to go kill him. Abraham had faith, and according to Romans chapter 4, and it was credited him as righteous. What was his faith? He still believed in, in Genesis 22 against all hope. He believed that God had the power to do what he said he was going to do. In fact, in Hebrews, we're going to find out later as he's building this case, he actually thought that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead, which is not what God did. God offered a substitutionary sacrifice in the form of a ram caught in a thicket. But when he went up that mountain, there's a couple things in Genesis 22 that we learned about the faith of Abraham. He says, we are going to go up the mountain, and he tells his servants, and we are going to come back. So even though he knew he was going to sacrifice Isaac, he knew God was going to do something because he knew they were coming back down. Why? Because he knew that the promise was yes. He knew it. And he also said when he got up there, uh, Isaac says, Dad, I see the, the, we have the wood for the burnt offering, but where is the sacrifice? And what do he say? He said, God's going to provide. <laughs> the gold and it's moment. called when he announced the gospel in advance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which was going to be handed to us way, way, way in the future. Hang on. hang on, let's take a break. One of our new sponsors called Human In, and they have uh, these Super Beats Heart Chews, which are good for blood pressure. Um, they give you energy, uh, which is, is good. Helps you kind of start your day. You know, I don't know, all of us drink coffee and you think, man, I just need more coffee. Not necessarily if you give these guys a try. So you don't have to have that energy drink or that pick-me-up because that's what these things do. They promote a new morning routine, and they're going to give you energy throughout the day. Uh, I've tried them. Uh, I like them. They work, and, and it helps with the blood pressure uh, as well. It's a grape seed extract that they use in these Super Beats Heart Chews. And they have shown clinically to be two times as effective uh, in supporting normal blood pressure and healthy lifestyle. So check them out. Uh, you're going to get up to 45% off plus free shipping when you go to superbeats.com slash fill. 
It's the best offer anywhere available. Superbeats.com slash fill up to 45% off and free shipping. Check them out. Which is why it said in the beginning was the word. Because look, God, because people read this, they're like, I don't understand what it said. Well, God confirmed it with an oath. God gave you his word. Just think about that statement. And it was yes. And here's where it, here's was where yes, it matters. To- and it's ironic that Jesus was referred to as the word and the word became flesh. You know what? One of my yeah, questions. One of my questions I'm going to ask, and when I get to the other side, is did did Abraham tell Sarah what he was doing? I mean, oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah, that's you know a good what I'm saying. Question. I mean, that's a. Yeah. I, I wonder if Pro- she knew because they, they had gone through all this stuff. It's almost forty years yeah. have gone by now, and he's going to take him up and kill him. I mean, even well, because he and even in the world, you notice they make fun of that story. Yeah. Uh, because they're like, I mean, why would you want to be involved in something? Well, so Someone Abraham, was encouraged. It didn't have him saying, you're going to do what? He said, he just surmised. But you know why the world can't wrap their head around it? Because they haven't put their faith in Jesus. They don't realize that, that death is not the end, and trust is part of the process. Right. You have the promise of God, and you got. that's why we're here. That's why time yep. is here. So it develops trust, which is the key to any relationship. And, and trust and trust. Here's here's the thing about trust. By the very definition of trust, it means I may not understand the how. That's why it requires trust. I don't know the how the God's going to do what He's going to do. I just know the who, the one who said it. He's going to do what He said He's going to do. And that's what Abraham. We know for a fact that Abraham did not know how God was going to deliver His promise. In fact, according to Hebrew, the Hebrew writer, Abraham actually got it wrong. He, the, in his mind, the way he had rationalized it, and the Bible says he reasoned that God could raise him from the dead. So Abraham used his ability, his God-given ability to reason to figure out how God was going to fulfill his promise. But that's not how God did it. So it doesn't, that, that's the thing. We may not understand the how God's going to do it. We just yeah, need exactly. to understand and believe yeah. who said it, and he's going to do it how he wants to do it. Well, and it that's was credited to him as righteousness because, I mean, God didn't say, well, you didn't know exactly. You didn't figure out how exactly I'm going to do it, so you're out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Which I think yeah, which is important. Is which, I mean, look in the it religious is. world. Everybody says we got to figure out every detail about life and Scripture and all unite on exactly how everything works and how it should be. That's a wrong way to think. You're, you're going right because back we to the old system. It. Yeah, we want to be able to contain it. When we're really saying God, what we're really saying is this. Well, we want run to control it. By, we want to control it, and then yeah. we want God to run his His strategy by us so that we can say, yeah, I, okay, yeah, that's good. Go with that. And God's <laughs> yeah. like, that, that's really what we're saying. Run it by me. Let me get my stamp of approval on it because I'm not comfortable with you let know, me call my this Let me hand. call my buddies, for, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll give you an answer. <laughs> Well, that's yeah, one we'll of the be- answer, one of the free. beautiful human things about Abraham was that you see instances in his life. We mentioned one about when Ishmael was born, that whole plot for Ishmael, and there's another one where he gets afraid of you know that something's going to happen to him because of you know they they wind up getting pushed into Egypt. Both times he shows that faith is hard. 
I mean, he had moments of lapse, and yet he's still the father of the faithful because ultimately he trusted God in the, in the moment. So I, I've always taken that as a great you know, confidence for me in my weaker moments that thankfully God's grace extends to me because it extended to Abraham. What's interesting is we're the, the, the penalty of Ishmael, we're still dealing with, we're, we're still chewing that bone all these years, thousands of years later because of those two sons, because all the uh, Islamic faith goes back to Ishmael. So we're still you know fighting that battle. My, yeah. you, you know what I tell my, my boys every time they, they fight, and then they fight a lot. I mean, it's like constant. And I keep thinking of that verse. I said, don't be like Ishmael, whose fist was raised in hostility towards his brothers. That's right. I'm like, don't be like that guy. You <laughs> Would know? you say, Dad, a wild donkey of a man? Yep, a wild ass. Well, I want to read this. In <laughs> verse, you know, verse 11, he wanted to make their hope sure. And then he says in 18, I want to reiterate this. God did this so that, I mean, we're basing this on a promise. God did this by two unchangeable things. It's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled... So fled anything not based on God and what he did through Jesus and the promise he's made to us to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged instead of greatly disappointed without Jesus. Cause that's what you're going to be. If you try to do it on your own or some kind of system that doesn't include Jesus as the focus, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. So I listened to this uh I listened to this sermon in a waiting room, you know, at, at, on Mia's surgery by Rick Warren, because he they were launching this is a few years ago when he did this, but they were having 40 days of hope. And so he did like 40 consecutive lessons. But the first one was really good. And he said, you know, in our world, in our practical world, he he had three definitions of hope. And the first one was wishful hope. And it's the kind, so you're late, you're supposed to be somewhere, and you look at the red light, and you're like, I hope that turns green. Well, that's just wishful. You have absolutely no control, and it's really not hope. It's, what is that? It's a wish that that you have no control over. But I think some people, when you transition this to the Christian life, there's some of that going on. Yeah, or somebody uh, will say, I hope I'm wrong about this, meaning something they have no control over. Something's going on. You got an opinion, but you're really just wishing. It's a bad view of hope. Yeah. You're just wishing. It's, you know, I hope I win the lottery. Yeah. All right, what's that going to do? <laughs> I mean, you know, oh, I have a bunch of money. So then. Oh, they, you're, yeah, you're in deep debt. And you, so you said, what is your answer to getting yeah, out of this? I, I I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. A lottery ticket. That's yeah. hope. I, I put my hope. Well, that that's not going to be a good anchor. <laughs> so, your boat is probably not going to sit there long. You don't have good eyes. Let's take another break. So the second one is an expecting hope, where you do something and expect a, a result, like where you plant a field and say, like the first one be say, I hope some tomatoes, I get some tomatoes from my garden that I didn't plant. Well, that'd be wishful. But let's say you actually go plant something. Well, now you're expecting, and, it, and it'd be... And he used example was kind of sobering about people, uh, you know, a woman who's pregnant and you're having this expectation. And then that doesn't guess necessarily mean that it's going to happen. Right. People have miscarriages, unfortunately, yeah. you know, every day. It, it's, it's sad when it happens. But so he's still saying even that is not this certainty 
which is the third one. It just means you you now have some bit of effort into it on the expectation. But what God is offering is this certain hope, and he he references as an anchor for the soul. We're talking about something different here because it's based on a God promise, and a God promise is always true. It's something you can, even though the it's an idea of hope of things that may not necessarily have happened, it is a guarantee because of the one who made it. Mm-hmm. Even though, like to Zach's point, you don't understand exactly how it's going to happen, but you can guarantee it. Well, that's something totally different. And that that's what separates the hope that we participate in on anything that the world has to offer. Yeah. So I did a little little research on an anchor. When you think about it, what does an anchor do? I mean, what does it do? Because I think practically looking at this helps us understand day-to-day life. So what does an anchor do? Basically holds a boat in place. It keeps it in place. So if a storm comes up or so it keeps it from drifting. When you look at that spiritually, it keeps us from, I mean, this hope in God's promises specifically through Jesus. I'll tell you another thing I thought of it. It doesn't make you lose your progress. You know, uh, you th- picture a ship coming from way off. Well, you put that anchor because if you don't, well, wind comes and you lost every, every, which I think in this case applies to them a lot. I mean, they had made a lot of progress and all of a sudden there's like, pull the anchor. We're going back to where we came from. Right. And he's like, no, because that's, that's not based on what I was, was trying to pull off. So uh, and here's the deal on it. Here's the deal on, it, on that too, Jace, is that it, it, it may not, it, you're going to drift without the anchor, whether you, whether a storm or, comes or not, because the current of the world, the current of the culture is going in the opposite direction of where the kingdom of God is going. So if I just sit there in my boat with no anchor and I'm just like no anchor, but I'm not going, I'm not going with anybody. I'm just going to sit here and relax. You're going to look up in about 15 minutes and you're going to be down downstream mm-hmm. because you're going to go backwards because the, the culture is moving in one direction and that's and that's where you're you're going to go naturally you're going to move in the kingdom you got to stay anchored in jesus you have to stay anchored in him yeah exactly now he did illustration on uh he found the largest the world's largest anchor which guess how much it weighed several tons a hundred and fifty thousand pounds the chain on it each link weighed 500 pounds (laughs) just wrap your head around that yeah now he made like it a cruise ship. Like I, he had a picture of it. He actually put it up there. I mean, it was it was the biggest thing you've ever seen. But his point was, and I thought it was a good point. You know, he read that verse where it said, uh, "Jesus said, I've come to have uh, so that you'll have life and have it more abundantly." And he was like, "Big ship, big anchor. Big life, big anchor." <laughs> I mean, you. It, it was it was a good point because he was like, "You don't." You know, God is the ultimate anchor, and this is the launching pad for a big life, a a lot of positive things on how God used you. And in the example of Abraham, you just think about what this promise did for all of humanity. I mean, this was a big, this was a big life. This was a big ship, a big, and it was a big promise because it seems so impossible to pull off to what we discussed earlier. You're gonna have a kid when you're a hundred. I mean, this is this is right next to a virgin having a kid. 
Yeah. I mean, same concept. I mean, that that shouldn't this shouldn't be happening. Right. So anyway, he he did this because I want to get this this in and get your comments on it. So he did research and he came up with the ten things, the top ten things in life and in our world that causes hopelessness. And I want to read them to you because he had a really good point on this. So number one, alone or abandoned. Number two, life's out of control. Number three, no purpose. So these are the things that causes hopelessness in life. Four, great pain or great loss. Five, uh, you don't have what you need. Six, basically sin, but he put, you know, things in parentheses like guilt, shame, and regret, the things that happen as a result of your sin or somebody else's. Yeah, it could be somebody else's. Seven, uh, wound, you're wounded or abused, which causes bitterness and resentment. Uh, eight, temptation, the, the just the pull in the wrong direction because life is full of temptation. Like, every, like every Zach corner. was describing with the current, right? Yeah. Nine, fear, whether ter- terrorism physically, spiritually, just things that causes fear. Uh, and 10, a sense of defeat or losing. And so when you think about life, and I think he's right, these 10 things cause people to be hopeless. Well, his whole point was, he said, did you know that, of course, he made this connection. He was looking at things that cause hopelessness. Then he was reading or reciting the Lord's Prayer and he realized that in the Lord's Prayer, it actually addresses every one of those 10 things, hmm. which was fascinating. Now, he spent 20 minutes talking about it, and I, you know, I wrote them down quickly, but basically, you know, it starts off, Our Father, well, what was number one? Loneliness, or uh, you know, being alone, or about, you know, Our Father, who art in heaven, you know. So uh, the power in his name, you, you have which would be number two where life feels out of control where you're praying to a father who's in control of everything on heaven and earth now it may not look like that but that is the prayer that is the belief that is the trust uh three you got god's plan because he said our your kingdom come well there's a bigger purpose and plan for life, which we, we understand that once we understand being a part of God's kingdom. Your will be done. Yeah. Hang on, let's take our last break. And, uh, you know, for pain and loss, which we've talked about that, God's future, but God is life. There is no death. I mean, the future plan is that it doesn't end, no matter what scenario, whether the innocent have died, you know, in, children or or adults i mean his, his plan is bigger it goes beyond being trapped on the earth uh you don't have what you need verse five well that what's that prayer about god provides you know give us our daily bread you know and that he zeroed in on that daily i mean god god what, what causes hopelessness well i don't have what i need what am i gonna god he, he provides uh Six, which forgiveness we know, forgive us, because what causes hopelessness? The guilt and shame of sin. And so seven, the wounded or the uh, abuse, that God is just, you know, God's promises that gives us help. You know, when it gets to temptation, deliver us. 
and then the end, you know, God is our ultimate victory, you know, through his, his word. And so when you read the Lord's Prayer, I mean, I did that real quick. You'll see the connection to those 10 things. And I thought, that's what's different. It kind of hit me just in that moment of listening to that. And I recommend you, you Google that. It, it's basically, Rick Warren, why Jesus is the anchor of our soul. That, that's what it is that produces hope. Right. And uh, I just think it was a really good illustration for how G- those those promises that God has made is yes in Jesus to anything and everything that could come your way in life. Hmm. Excellent point. Yeah, and a good sermon. You know, it <clears throat> it made me think about Zach when you were talking about that that situation about you know if you don't have the anchor down. Uh, I told y'all when I was in Crete, you know, when I was looking out there, I, I was reading Acts twenty seven because Paul, you know, was right. He went right by there where I was sitting and then he went around the other side of the island and he told him, he said, now look, you better win her here. Cause you know, it's, we're not going to make it, but they didn't listen to him. And so when the storm hits, it took 14 days. It dragged them from Greece, the little island I was on Crete all the way to Italy <laughs> to ride off the boot down there on the Isle of Malta. And it finally, you know, they finally had to abandon the ship. And I just thought about that. Paul gave him truth. He told him, he said, now look, God, God, we need to stay here. We need to listen to me. And they didn't listen to him. And so 14 days later, they were dragged literally all across the Aegean Sea there and wound up, you know, at Italy where they, but, but God spared them because of Paul. He said, the good news is we're leaving the ship, but none of you are going to die. And they didn't, including Paul. But I thought about that picture of this idea that truth is what anchors us into salvation. But without it, that's what you get. You just get the randomness of wherever we wind up. know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's right. Well, think about that, the context of that whole, it's funny you bring that up because think about the context of, of there was a warning given to them, don't, don't get off the ship. If you get off the ship, you're going to die. So there's a warning and they listened to the warning. They stayed on the ship, the ship wrecked, but they, but they survived. And similarly in Hebrews, you got a warning here. Don't, you know, don't get off the ship. You know, if you get off the ship, then you're going to die. And it was the warning that, that preserved them. And, and what's interesting about this is I was thinking about the whole concept of faith in this, that we we keep running around and talking about it. if, If we were to simplify two terms, faith and sin, how how would we define him? I would just define him like this, based on what Jace has already brought up with the verse out of I think it was Second Corinthians. Faith is believing that the promise or promises of God are yes, and sin is believing that the promises of God are no. And and the, the danger of sin in in Hebrews six, it's not that you're going to get too many as I think we said in the last podcast. That's not the danger. The danger is not it's too many for God to handle. The danger of sin is that it corrupts our mind, it corrupts our heart, and we end up, if we don't repent for that, then we end up desiring something that's not of Him. So I think the warning here, it's rooted in assurance because it's He's pushing us into saying, look, you, you got to keep anchored in who Jesus is because that's where life is at. So when you go to Abraham, the story of Abraham, and you go to Romans 4, which is this great text that Paul uses to explain the correlation between our faith and Abraham's faith, 
he has this interesting way he puts it in Romans 4 in the ESV version. He says that Abraham's faith grew as he gave glory to God. And I just found that fascinating. What does that mean? His faith grew as he gave glory to God. Why did it grow as he gave glory to God? I think the reason is, is when you give glory to God, then you get to taste the goodness of God. And when I get to taste the goodness of God, then I believe God even more in his promises that they're yes. And then I put, I give God more glory. I taste more goodness. And that's why it just keeps on moving from one degree of glory to another. I begin to receive this revelation of God of himself and get to see that he is the ultimate prize. Exactly. And by the flip side of that, sin is the opposite of that. And if you just keep un, like, unrepentant sin over and over and over again, the apostasy that was being warned against here is don't do that. Don't leave. Yeah. Don't leave the anchor. Don't leave Jesus. Don't leave him. Well, He's where the hope's at. I think a sister passage to what we just read is in Ephesians 4, you know, when he said he, he there were church leaders that were appointed, got their gifts from God in verse 12 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. is this to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ, which is what we're referred to as, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of who? The Son of God and become mature, because I think that was his, he had just referenced that in the earlier part of Hebrews 6 about growing up, attaining to the whole measure, and then he says this, of the fullness of Christ. You know, you're experiencing, it's one thing to know him, it's another thing to experience him, and we're all doing it as the body of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, because there's no anchor. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching, the cunning and craftiness of, of men in their deceitful scheming, which goes back to that point about that prayer, the Lord's Prayer at the end. He's like, deliver us from evil. That is the victory that we we pray to God because we know we're going to win with Jesus as, as our anchor. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we want all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. And that's what I think is point in Hebrews. We're growing in Jesus, in this experience on a daily basis, looking at his life and becoming him on this earth. And then you're, you're all of a sudden, it's a different kind of hope that the world offers. It's not a lottery ticket. It's yeah. a guarantee. Right. That's why you have confidence. And the reason why is because remember the anchor, where is the anchor? It said it was behind the curtain. Where's behind the curtain? The, the holiest place where Jesus is. So the anchor is in heaven now because that's where Jesus is. So the anchor, there's no way to lose it because he's there. So ultimately, as long as we're looking to him, yeah. we're in the holiest of places that you can be. The, the place where no Israelite could ever go behind the curtain, which is his point of what he's trying to show him, you know, which is, oh, which it, is our it's point as well. Oh, it make you jump up and down do a... Do a Russian tap dance? Yeah, good. Oh, we need we need we need to start a podcast, guys. We could talk. about I think this we and... could really do a podcast. <laughs> I've been, I, 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 I think we could do it. I'm holding out hope. So uh, we're we're out of time, but in the overtime, I had a little different take on the uh, unchanging nature of God, which is in uh, verses uh, 16 through 18. I didn't get a chance to tell you that, so I want to do that in the overtime. Uh, what I think the two unchanging things are. So. Uh, and it's a mystery to people. It right? is. It There's is. A, it's and I got a little bit for debate. Yeah, I got a little bit of a different take on that. So it's uh, blazetv.com slash unashamed if you want to follow us over uh, and check out our overtime.
Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.